Recorded live. Blessings to everyone. Welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy Bible Study on WTLM Radio for this fifth week of the fourth quarter of the year. This is being recorded originally for broadcast on October 21st, excuse me, October 31st, October 31st, 2015. Blessings to everybody that is listening right now. Welcome to Spirit of Prophecy Bible Study on WTLM Radio for this fifth week of the fourth quarter of the year. This broadcast is originally being recorded for October 31st, 2015. Our websites are wtlmministries.x10host.com. That is wtlmministries.x10host.com. Right in tyrannyforsalvation.com, the home of our sister site, FTSN, which most of our radio and media operations will come from, and our news organizations will originate from three sites. First, there is the Police State Journal, which you can check by going to policestatejournal.x10host.com. The Police State Journal will be the place to see our curated and soon original reports daily exposing the plans of the Papal New World Order. Then there are the Autodesk, the FTSN Autodesk, is located at ftsnnews.wordpress.com. Once again, the FTSN Autodesk is located at ftsnnews.wordpress.com. The WTLM News Desk is located at wtlmnewsdesk.wordpress.com. The Autodesk sites are automated reports coming from the top alternative media and religious sites exposing both the secular aspects and the religious aspects of our great controversy. The the FTSN Autodesk is for secular reports, and the WTLM Autodesk is for religious reports. In their own words, apostasy. Our Facebook page is WTLM, is that WTLM Social? Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash WTLM social. Please like us there for the latest in all religious aspects to the upcoming crisis mankind is about to face. This study will be about the compromises that led up to the arrival of the papacy as predicted by Paul in his epistles. In part one of this two-part study, we will take a look at the nature of the Jewish people which had led to the compromises that had placed them in the condition to reject Christ when Christ had his earthly ministry and the damaging results of that period of time. When some of the Jews had a nominal conversion of the faith and tried to make the Gentiles follow tradition as opposed to God's will. In part two of this study, we'll be reading from the Great Controversy, Chapter 3, The Apostasy. We will take a little time to explain how a lot of the passages within our study this week applies to now, as we see God's remnant people face an avalanche of difficulties cropping up daily, accelerated even more so now since the historical visit of the current Antichrist, Pope Francis, in late September of 2015. I hope all of you who will listen will enjoy this week's study, as the study goes in perfectly with the actions of the modern churches of the world compromising to such a point right now that we have reached the apex of the apostasy. 
This includes the actions of the general conference churches and even some independent ministries. Spiritual midnight is rapidly approaching, and with cunning precision, the enemy is in the final stages of formulating a one-world government, financial, and religious systems prophesied by the King James Holy Bible and the inspired Spirit of Prophecy writings from the messenger, Ellen White. Spiritual midnight is rapidly approaching, and with cunning precision, the enemy is in the final stages of formulating the one-world government, financial and religious systems prophesied by the King James Holy Bible and the inspired writings of Ellen White. At time throughout this podcast, at time throughout this podcast, I will bring in comments. Let me check something here. Beep. I guess so it's still it's me here. All right, good. Continue. At time throughout this podcast, I will bring in comments recorded previously in a Wednesday night prayer meeting when appropriate. Usually the Wednesday night prayer meetings will be hosted by me, Brother Brian Marks, from the WTLM Williams Bridge Home Church in the Bronx, and a dear friend of mine, Brother Rex Dallins, from the Heron Remnant Church in Illinois, along with other people who bring along or are on the phone with us during the Wednesday night prayer meetings that we will hold approximately every other Wednesday. Our next live segment will be Wednesday, November 11th at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 p.m. Central. Check out our Facebook page to see the latest times for the online and phone prayer meetings. And now, moment of prayer. Our Bible study for this week is on the mystery of iniquity. You can find this study on our website, wtlmministries.x10host.com. As wtlmministries.x10host.com and click on study. This week's lesson is on Lesson 5. Our memory text for this week comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And from the Great Controversy, page 49, paragraph 1, the Apostle Paul in the second lesson... The Apostle Paul, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, foretold the great apostasy which would result in the establishment of the papal power. Even at that early date, he saw creeping into the church errors that would prepare the way for the development of the papacy. This week's study is of paramount importance, as it shows the compromises that were made that led the way to the Roman Catholic Church coming into prominence in the first place. And the same steps are tearing down the walls that separate the church now from the world. You go to just about any building church and you will now find very little difference between the worldly church and the world in general. The Jesuits have brought in worldly music into the churches, making churches resemble concert halls, bars, and clubs. The strategic stripping of the male authority figures within the church through the women's ordination and the subsequent gay ordination into the churches have contributed to a church that can no longer fight against the tyranny of sin by showing themselves to be peculiar people and be God's representatives to the world. 
Finally, since Vatican II, the ecumenical movement has so drastically removed the differences between the various Protestant churches and the Roman Catholic Church, which the forefathers of these churches vigorously fought against, that people like Huss, Jerome, the Wallensees, or even Hiram Bates. Oh, you're kidding me. All right. This week's study is of paramount importance as it shows the compromises that were made that led the way to the Roman Catholic Church coming into prominence in the first place. And the same steps are tearing down the walls that separate the church from the world now. You go to just about any building church and you will not find much of a difference between the church and the world. The Jesuits have brought in worldly music into the churches, making churches resemble concert halls, bars, and clubs. The strategic stripping of the male authority figures within the church through the women's ordination and the subsequent gay ordination into the churches have contributed to a church that can no longer fight against the tyranny of sin by showing themselves to be peculiar people and be God's representatives to the world. Finally, since Vatican II, the ecumenical movement has so drastically removed the differences between the various Protestant churches and the Roman Catholic Church which the forefathers of these churches vigorously fought against. Now, people like Huss, Jerome, the Waldenses, and other Protestant reformers, and even later reformers like the people who started up the Seventh-day Adventist Church, like Hiram Edson, Joseph Bates, Rachel Olds, and the messenger Ellen White, would have their heads spinning right now if they were alive today. It is because of the compromises of Protestant churches, including and especially the General Conference Corporation of Seventh-day Adventists, that allowed the Pope to walk freely into the halls of our once proud Protestant government and dictate to our leaders how to govern themselves. In true Roman Catholic subtleness, the Pope even reminded us of how great our country is. It's a slap in the face of true Bible-believing Christians and patriots of our country. The organized church was established to teach the world the errors of its ways, but through compromise, the church had acquiesced its moral authority, and in place, the Antichrist, working for Satan, acts as the world's moral authority, albeit a false one, that is in the final stages of implementing its world government, that will enforce the National Sunday Law, which will include trying to force people to work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the main issue that will separate the true wheat from the tares in this world. Matthew 24 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible in terms of prophecy. Here's what it says in verses 4 and 5. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. We continue in verse 11. And it says there, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. This was because of the compromises that were made throughout time. Had people knew the law of God truly, it would be a delight to do his will, and they would have studied his word daily, and his law would be in their hearts, and with his word as a safeguard against evil, they would be able to withstand the temptations continuously being displayed to them by Satan through the world. In the early church, Paul saw a number of issues that came about. 
These issues led to his prophesizing about the Roman Catholic Church coming into existence. And one of the original topics of controversy, which he himself at some point compromised on, was that of circumcision. The newly half-converted Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected the the newly half-converted Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren, as it says in Acts 14, verse 2. They were pressuring Paul to make the Gentiles do the same religious practices that they were doing while being Jews in Israel. Once again, tradition versus scripture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, it says, For ye brethren became followers of the church of God, which in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus Christ and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and pleased not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always. For wrath has come upon them to the othermost fear of rejection by Israel, who themselves were under the tyranny of the pagan Roman Empire. And they did not understand that the type had meant anti-type with the death of cross. The Jews felt fear of rejection by Israel, who themselves were under the tyranny of the pagan Roman Empire. And they did not understand the fact that type had meant anti-type with the death of Christ on the cross. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they all were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It says in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verse 1. The Christian religion was spreading like wildfire, and the Jews, together with Rome, were persecuting the newly converted Gentiles. This, however, did not destroy the church, but helped it spread. Listen to what it says here in Prophets and Kings, page 707, paragraph 4. I will read the entire paragraph. However, coming towards the end of it is what I want to emphasize. God blesses the work of men's hands, that they may return to him his portion. He gives them the sunshine and the rain. He causes vegetation to flourish. He gives health and ability to acquire means. Every blessing comes from his bountiful hand, and he desires men and women to show their gratitude by returning him a portion in tithes and offerings in thank offerings, in free will offerings, in trespass offerings. And this is where I want to emphasize. They are to devote their means to his service that his vineyard may not remain a barren waste. They are to study what the Lord would do were he in their place. They are to take all difficult matters to him in prayer. They are to reveal an unselfish interest in the building up of his work in all parts of the world. And it is the last sentence in particular that I would like to stress. These unbelieving Jews show the exact opposite character of Christ. Their lack of knowledge of the scriptures became a hindrance to the early church when they were trying to bring the old traditions into the newly formed Christian church by pressuring Paul and the Gentiles. If they had true heart conversion, they also would have read up more on his word, and the word would have given them a greater knowledge of Christ's character. The real, now, the real 
<laughs> the real nature of the character of the Jews during Malachi's time until the time when the early church was formed is perfectly explained in subsequent paragraphs in Patriarchs and Prophets. We continue now on page 708. Paragraph 1. Through messengers, or messages, through messages such as those borne by Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, as well as those Through messages such as those borne by Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, as well as through through messages such as those borne by Malachi, the last of the Old Testament prophets, as well as through oppression from heathen foes, the Israelites finally learned the lesson that true prosperity depends upon obedience to the law of God. But with many of the people, obedience was not the outflow of faith and love. Their motives were selfish. Outward service was rendered as a means of attaining to national greatness. The chosen people did not become the light of the world, but shut themselves away from the world as a safeguard against being seduced into idolatry. And I'll make a comment here. Have they been truly studying the scriptures and had a true heart conversion? That would not have happened. We continue on. The restrictions which God had given forbidding intermarriage between his people and the heathen and prohibiting Israel from joining in the idolatrous practices of surrounding nations were so perverted as to build up a wall of partition between the Israelites and all other peoples, thus shutting from others the very blessing which God had commissioned Israel to give to the world. At the same time, the Jews were, by their sins, separating themselves from God. They were unable to discern the deep spiritual significance of their symbolic service. In their self-righteousness, they trusted to their own works, to the sacrifices and ordinances themselves, instead of relying upon the merits of him to whom all these things pointed. Thus, going about to establish their own righteousness, Romans 10 verse 3, they built themselves up in a self-sufficient formalism wanting the spirit and grace of God, they tried to make up for the lack by a rigorous observance of religious ceremonies and rites. Not content with the ordinances which God himself had appointed, they encumbered the divine commandments with countless acceptations of their own devices. The greater their distance from God, the more rigorous they were in the observance of his form. We continue on page 709. With all these minute and burdensome exactations, it was a practical impossibility for the people to keep the law. The great principles of righteousness set forth in the Decalogue and the glorious truth shadowed in the symbolic service were alike obscured, buried under a mass of human tradition and enactment. Those who were really desirous of serving God and who tried to observe the whole law as enjoined by the priests and the rulers groaned under a heavy burden. As a nation, the people of Israel, while desiring the advent of the Messiah, were so far separated from God in heart and life that they could have no true conception of the character or mission of the promised Redeemer. Instead, of desiring redemption from sin and the glory and peace of holiness, 
their hearts were fixed upon deliverance from, the, from their national foes and restoration to worldly power. I'm going to repeat that. Instead of desiring redemption from sin and the glory and peace of holiness, their hearts were fixed upon deliverance from their national foes and restoration to worldly power. They looked for Messiah to come as a conqueror, to break every yoke and exalt Israel to dominion over all nations. But Satan had succeeded in preparing the hearts of the people to reject the Savior when he should appear. Their own pride of heart and their false conceptions of his character and mission will prevent them from honestly weighing the evidences of his messiahship. We continue from Patriarchs and Prophets on page 710, paragraph 2. The whole life of Jesus of Nazareth among the Jewish people was a reproof to their selfishness as revealed in their unwillingness to recognize the just claims of the owner of the vineyard over which they had been placed as husbandmen. They hated his example of truthfulness and piety, and when the final test came, the truth which meant obedience until eternal life or disobedience to eternal death, they rejected the Holy One of Israel and became responsible for his crucifixion on Calvary's cross. In the book of Galatians, chapter 6, we see the true spirit of the Jews as well. Reading from verses 12 and going along to 16, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. As and as many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon them, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Persecutions not only lingered, but were exacerbated during this time. And instead of the Jewish people deciding to do the right thing, this made them even less faithful as we see here in Acts chapter 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Page 188 and 189, 188 paragraph 2 and 189 paragraphs 1 and 2, we'll be reading from the Acts of the Apostles. While the apostles united with the ministers and lay members at Antioch in an earnest effort to win many souls to Christ, certain Jewish believers from Judea of the seed of the Pharisees succeeded in introducing a question that While the apostles uniting with the ministers and lay members at Antioch in an earnest effort to win many souls to Christ, certain Jewish believers from Judea 
of the sect of the Pharisees, succeeded in introducing a question that soon led to widespread controversy in the church and brought consternation to the believing Gentiles. With great assurance, these Judaizing teachers asserted that in order to be saved, one must be circumcised and you must keep the entire ceremonial law. Paul and Barnabas met this false doctrine with promptness and opposed the introduction of the subject to the Gentiles. On the other hand, many of the believing Jews of Antioch favored the position of the brethren recently come from Judea. The Jewish converts generally were not inclined to move as rapidly as the providence of God opened the way. From the result of the apostles' labors among the Gentiles, it was evident that the converts among the latter people would far exceed the Jewish converts in number. The Jews feared that if the restrictions and ceremonies of their law were not made obligatory upon the Gentiles as a condition of church fellowship, the national peculiarities of the Jews, which had hitherto kept them distinct from all other people, would finally disappear from among those who received the gospel message. Paul met this apostasy swiftly. And we're reading from Romans chapter 2, verses 25 through 29 first. For circumcision verily profited, if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for a circumcision? Now repeat. For circumcision verily profited. Uh, for circumcision verily profited. If thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfilled the law, judge thee, who by the latter and circumcision doth transgress the law? For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the latter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Let me repeat this. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. That's Romans 2, verses 25 to 29. Is any man called being circumcised, that not be come uncircumcised? Is any called an uncircumcision, that am not be called circumcised? Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing the keeping of the commandments of God. Quote from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 18 and 19. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Galatians 5, verse 6. We have spiritual... We have spiritual circumcision when we obey God's law. And when we sin, we pray directly to God, not to man, for forgiveness. Before the death of Christ on the cross, the Jews had to be circumcised. 
and had to go through the whole physical process of the sanctuary services in order for sins to be forgiven. But since type has met anti-type, things are now spiritual as opposed to physical. Here's what the messenger Ellen White said in the Acts of the Apostles on page 200, the first two paragraphs. Paul had dedicated himself and all his powers to the service of God. He had received the truths of the gospel direct from heaven, and throughout his ministry he maintained a vital connection with heavenly agencies. He had been taught by God regarding the binding of unnecessary burdens upon the Gentile Christians. Thus, when the Judaizing believers introduced into the Antioch church the question of circumcision, Paul knew the mind of the Spirit of God concerning such teaching and took a firm and unyielding position which brought to the churches freedom from Jewish rites and ceremonies. Notwithstanding the fact that Paul was personally taught by God, he had no strained ideas of individual responsibility. While looking to God for direct guidance, he was ever ready to recognize the authority vested in the body of believers united in church fellowship. He felt the need of counsel. And when matters of importance arose, he was glad to lay those before the church and to unite with his brethren in seeking God for wisdom to make right decisions. Even the spirits of the prophets, he declared, are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Quote from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 32 and 33. With Peter, he taught that all united in church capacity should be subject to one another. A quote from 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Here, we see Paul's character, as opposed to the half-hearted Jewish converts. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. A quote from Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. We are the glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 6, 14, as Paul did. But even he at one point compromised, and it led to his persecution coming faster. We read from the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 21, verses 17 through 24. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. And they are all zealous of the law, and they are informed of thee, and thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do, therefore, that we say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. We continue reading from verses 26 through 30. Then Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment 
the days of purification, and so that an offering should be offered for every one of them. When the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is a man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. And the law and this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and have polluted their holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus, an Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was moved, and the people ran together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. Inspiration continues on this thought from the Acts of the Apostles. We'll read from pages 402 to 407. In his ministry, the Apostle Paul had taught the people, not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The truth that he proclaimed had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what a man knoweth, the things of a man, is the spirit of a man, which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. Which things declared Paul, we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. A quote from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, and then verses 10 through 13. Throughout his ministry, Paul had looked to God for direct guidance. At the same time, he had been very careful to labor in harmony with the decisions of the general council at Jerusalem. And as a result, the churches were established in the faith and increased in number daily. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. And now, notwithstanding the lack of sympathy shown him by some, he found comfort in the consciousness that he had done his duty in encouraging his con- in his converts a spirit of loyalty, generosity, and brotherly love, as revealed on, the, on this occasion in the liberal contributions which he was enabled to place before the Jewish elders. And now, notwithstanding the lack of sympathy shown him by some, he found comfort in the consciousness that he had done his duty in encouraging his converts a spirit of loyalty, generosity, and brotherly love, as revealed on this occasion in the liberal contributions which he was enabled to place before the Jewish elders. After the presentation of the guests, Paul declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. This recital of facts brought to the hearts of all, even of those who had been doubting, the conviction that the blessing of heaven had accompanied his labors. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They felt that the methods of labor pursued by the apostle bore the signet of heaven. The liberal contributions lying before them added weight to the testimony of the apostle concerning the faithfulness of the new churches established among the Gentiles. The men who, while numbered among those who were in charge of the work at Jerusalem, had urged that arbitrary measures of control be adopted, saw Paul's ministry in a new light, and were convinced that their own course had been wrong that they had been held in bondage by Jewish customs and traditions, and that the work of the gospel had been greatly hindered by their failure to recognize that the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile had been broken down by the death of Christ. 
This was a golden opportunity for all the leading brethren to confess frankly that God had been, had wrought through Paul, and that at times they had erred in permitting the reports of his enemies to arouse their jealousy and prejudice. But instead of uniting in an effort to do justice to the one who had been injured, they gave him counsel, which showed that they still cherished a feeling that Paul should be held largely responsible for the existing prejudice. They did not stand nobly in his defense, endeavoring to show the disaffected ones where they were wrong, but sought to effect a compromise by counseling him to pursue a course which, in their opinion, would remove all cause for misapprehension. Now see us, brother, they said, in response to his testimony, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do, therefore, that this we say to thee. We have four men which... Have a vow on them. Take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads. And all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. The brethren hoped that Paul, by following the course suggested, might give a decisive contradiction to the false reports concerning him. They assured him that the decision of the former council concerning the Gentile converts and the ceremonial law still held good. But the advice now given was not consistent with that decision. The Spirit of God did not prompt this instruction. It was the fruit of cowardice. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem knew that by nonconformity to the ceremonial law, Christians would bring upon themselves the hatred of the Jews and expose themselves to persecution. The Sanhedrin was doing its utmost to hinder the progress of the gospel. Men were chosen by this body to follow up the apostles, especially Paul, and in every possible way to oppose their work. Should the believers in Christ be condemned before the Sanhedrin as breakers of the law, they would suffer swift and severe punishment as apostates from the Jewish faith. Many of the Jews who had accepted the gospel still cherished a regard for the ceremonial law and were only too willing to make unwise concessions, hoping thus to gain the confidence over their countrymen to remove their prejudice and to win them to faith in Christ as the world's redeemer. Paul realized that so long as many of the leading members of the church at Jerusalem should continue to cherish prejudice against him, they will work constantly to counteract his influence. He felt that if by any reasonable concession he could win them to the truth, he would remove a great obstacle to the successes of the gospel in other places. But he was not authorized of God to concede as much as they asked. When we think of Paul's great desire to be in harmony with his brethren, his tenderness toward the weak in the faith, 
his reverence for the apostles who had been with Christ and for James, the brother of the Lord, and his purpose to become all things to men so far as he could without sacrificing principle. When we think of all this, it is less surprising that he was constrained to deviate from the firm, the cited course that he had hereto, though, followed. But instead of accomplishing the desired object, his efforts for conciliation only precipitated the crises, hasten his pre. pre uh, mm hastened his predicted sufferings and resulted in separating him from his brethren, depriving the church of one of his strongest pillars and bringing sorrow to Christian hearts in every land. On the following day, Paul began to carry out the counsel of the elders, the four men who were under the Nazarite vow, Numbers verse 6, the terms of which had nearly expired were taken by Paul into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. Certain costly sacrifices for purification were yet to be offered. Those who advised Paul to take this step had not fully considered the great peril to which he would thus be exposed. At this season, Jerusalem was filled with worshipers from many lands. As in fulfillment of the commission given him by God, Paul had borne the gospel to the Gentiles. He had visited many of the world's largest cities, and he was well known to thousands who from foreign parts had come to Jerusalem to attend the feast. Among these were men whose hearts were filled with bitter hatred for Paul. And for him to enter the temple on a public occasion was to risk his life. For several days, he passed in and out among the worshipers, apparently unnoticed. But before the close of the specified period, as he was talking with a priest concerning the sacrifices to be offered, he was recognized by some of the Jews from Asia. With the fury of Dev. With the fury of demons, they rushed upon him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people, and the law, and this place. And as the people responded to the call for help, another accusation was added. And further brought Greeks also into the temple, and have polluted this holy place. By the Jewish law, it was a crime punishable with death for uncircumcised persons to enter the inner courts of the sacred edifice. Let me repeat. By the Jewish law, it was a crime punishable with death for an uncircumcised person to enter the inner courts of the sacred edifice. By the Jewish law, it was a crime punishable with death for an uncircumcised person to enter the inner courts of the sacred edifice. Paul had been seen in the city in company with Trophimus, an Ephesian, and it was conjectured that he had brought him into the temple. This he had not done, and being himself a Jew, his act in entering the temple was no violation of the law. But through the charge was wholly false, it served to arouse the popular prejudice. As the cry was taken up and borne through the temple courts, the throngs gathered there were thrown into wild excitement. The throngs gathered there were thrown into wild excitement. 
the news quickly spread through Jerusalem, and in all the city was moved, and the people ran together. That an apostle from Israel should presume to profane the temple at the very time when thousands had come there from all parts of the world to worship excited the fiercest passions of the mob. They took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. As these people were to set up Paul for persecution, Rome is doing the same thing now to bring back the spiritual midnight of the Dark Ages under a new world order that will track your every move to see if you are in compliance with the National Sunday Law. In the book of Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter two. In the book of Second Thessalonians, chapter two, Paul predicts that through the nature of the compromising church, the papal Roman Empire will be born. From the first twelve verses. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And And then shall that wicked be revealed when the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might all be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Here's a couple of quotes from inspiration continuing on this subject. The Acts of the Apostles, once again, on page 395, paragraph 1 says, The dangers that would assail the church at Ephesus were revealed to the apostle. I know this, he said, and after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Paul trembled for the church as looking into the future. He saw the attacks which he must suffer from both external and internal foes. With solemn earnestness, he bade his brethren guard diligently their sacred trust. For an example, he pointed them to his own unwearied labors among them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to do. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. 
We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people, as God's preferred church is today. Because of unfaithful, compromising men who did not properly study to show themselves approved unto God, workmen rightly defining the word of truth, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. These people serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness and have left their first love, as it says in Revelation chapter 2. We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people as God's professed churches today. Because of unfaithful, compromising men who did not properly study to show themselves approved unto God, workmen writing the, rightly dividing the word of truth, We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people as God's professed church is today. Because of unfaithful, compromising men who did not properly study to show themselves approved unto God, workmen rightly dividing the word of truth, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. These people serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but who believe not on the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And have left their first love. We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people. We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people as God's professed church is today. Because of unfaithful, compromising men who did not properly study to show them sh oh God. We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people. We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. We read earlier in Prophets and Kings how the Jews became very strict in their religious observances, but not righteous. They were still a very compromised group of people as God's professed churches today. Because of unfaithful, compromising men who did not properly study to show themselves approved unto God, Workmen rightly dividing the word of truth, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving 
and being deceived. These people serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, who believe not in the truth, had pleasure in unrighteousness, and have left their first love. These men serve self, and when you have self as master, Satan is your master. By good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. Quote from Romans 16, verse 18. What was the origin of the great apostasy? How did the church first depart from the simplicity of the gospel? By conforming to the practices of paganism to facilitate the acceptance of Christianity by the heathen. That's from the Great Controversy, page 384. And now we're going to read a couple of, of verses from the Bible that clearly state that those who live under Christ will suffer. John 15, verse 20 says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. They have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is a quote from 2 Timothy, the third chapter, verse 12. The early church faced a great persecution against her, and her members were scattered abroad the regions of Judea and Samaria. Yet in their faithfulness, they continued to preach the word of God. Read Acts chapter 8 on that one. 161 of the book Acts of the Apostles, the messenger Ellen White writes, The Christian church was at this time entering upon an important era. The work of proclaiming the gospel message among the Gentiles was now to be prosecuted with vigor. And as a result, the church was to be strengthened by a great ingathering of souls. The apostles who had been appointed to lead out in this work would be exposed to suspicion, prejudice, and jealousy. Their teachings concerning the break, breaking down of the middle wall of partition, as it says in Ephesians 2, verse 14, that so long separated the Jews and the Gentile world would naturally subject them to the charge of heresy, and their authority as ministers of the gospel will be questioned by many zealous believing Jews. God foresaw the difficulties that his servants would be called to meet, and in order that their work should be above challenge, he instructed the church by revelation to set them apart publicly for the work of the ministry. Their ordination was a public recognition of their divine appointment to bear the, to the Gentiles the glad tidings of the gospel. She also writes on page 528. She also writes on page 528, paragraph 1. Thus, Peter wrote to the believers. Thus, Peter wrote to the believers at a time of peculiar trial to the church. Thus, Peter wrote to the believers at a time of peculiar trial to the church. Many had already become partakers of Christ's sufferings, and soon the church was to undergo a period of terrible persecution. Within a few brief years, many of those who had stood as teachers and leaders in the church were to lay down their lives for the gospel. Soon grievous wolves were to enter in, not sparing the flock. But none of these things were to bring discouragement to those whose hopes were centered in Christ. 
with words of encouragement and good cheer, Paul directed the minds of the believers from present trials and future scenes of suffering to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. The God of all grace, he fervently prayed, who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, and amen. And from the Testimonies, Volume 6, page 330, paragraph 2, if those who know the truth would practice it, methods would be devised for meeting the people where they are. It was the providence of God which, in the beginning of the Christian church, scattered the saints abroad, sending them out of Jerusalem into many parts of the world. The disciples of Christ did not stay in Jerusalem or in the cities nearby, but they went beyond the limits of their own country into the great thoroughfares of travel, seeking for the lost that they might bring them to God. Today the Lord desires to see his work carried forward in many places. We must not. We must not confine our labors to a few localities. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through them that loved us. For I am persecuted that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Quotes from 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, and Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. Just as Jesus' ministry was not a failure, as the Pope in his homily last month in St. Patrick's Cathedral stated, our service to Christ will not be a failure if we continue to serve Christ and conform entirely to his will. In fact, we serve Christ, we will spend eternity with him. And that's going to conclude part one of this podcast. This is This concludes part one of our podcast on the mystery of iniquity. Part two of this podcast will deal with the great controversy, chapter three, the apostasy, which you'll soon hear right after this.